Well, it's great to be back. Really great to be back. I can really, really express that. Great to be back. <laughs> uh, and uh, gosh, I just can't say enough thanks and appreciation for everything. The, the cards and the notes and meals and the visits. and You know, what a class. I mean, we've a lot of us have been through it and we know it, but you know, when it's yourself, you really feel the appreciation. So... Thanks to everybody, really. And I want to also make a real big thanks to somebody. <clears throat> I just can't believe that I did it to her, but, you know, Ann was just a special person, you know. I mean, being the vice president and the first thing in office, you're up to the president. I mean, but, I mean, it was just so nice, Ann. I appreciate it so much. We thought you were the vice president. I think I think it is going to be what I was going to say. I said, everything I've heard from while she's filled in, I don't know if I can fill these shoes back here or not. We might have to make a little role change here, Tom. But thanks a lot. And uh, also thanks to Don, too, because, you know, he kind of moved in a little bit and gave her a hand. She kept up the refreshments and did this role. And Don took a little job on to be sure that he had somebody scheduled to come by and keep me awake every afternoon so I wouldn't sleep all day. <laughs> but uh, just appreciation for everything in the class. Wonderful. Your uh, program chairman, Al Temples, and his wife, Linda, are in the largest state in the United States. Oh, I'm sorry, the lower 48 in the United States. They're in Texas this weekend with their, their grandkids. I'm very proud to introduce a man today that there are so many adjectives I could use, but I'll just use a few. The first one I want to use is that this man is a follower of Christ, which is most important. He's a father, he's a businessman, he's a psychologist, he's a friend, Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, I'm sorry. I demoted him, I'm sorry. But he's also the husband of Sarah. And of course, it's, as you know, it's Dr. Paul Beecham, psychiatrist. And he's going to talk to us about David, a man after God's own heart. Thank you. This is not going to be a Sunday school lesson. Can you can you hear? Is it enough? Okay. This this going to be uh, so the, these experts will fix it. What I want to do is share with you some more of what this idea of reading the Bible through in a year did to me. The uh, Old Testament has several super duper heroes. I guess the first one on that level really is Moses. The Moses and the law. God uh, calling. the but, but actually before Moses, Moses Moses' stuff gets in there first, uh, is Abraham, the father of faith. And the other one is David. Now if you get to reading the Apostle Paul, you'll see the Apostle Paul is, likes David. And the, the, the title of this Sharing comes out of a sermon from the 13th chapter of Acts where Paul and Barnabas are on the first missionary journey. We're going to talk a little bit today about the front part of it. We're going to come back and do some more on this next week. And he is preaching in Antioch of Pisidia, 
on the near the end of the first missionary journey. And he's telling the story of God's dealing with the people. And he said that God says to Samuel uh, to that he has chosen David. And here's the lovely words. Think about these words. A man after my own heart. Those words stuck with me. A man after God's heart? What would a man or a woman or a girl or a boy look like when Scripture would call you a person after God's own heart? And uh, in the writing of Romans, uh, two heroes that Paul cites are Abraham, the father of faith, and David, the the, the royal one, and a man who, in whose life is clearly demonstrated the grace of God. A man after God's own heart. Now, I want y'all to talk back to me. What would it take in your life to think of yourself as a person after God's own heart? Now, when that started, David's a boy keeping sheep. Nobody knows David from Adam's house cat. God's chosen him. Oh, that's another odd. I have chosen David, a man after my own heart, who will do what I want him to do. All that I require. I read it four or five different ways. Man after God. Now, here's the point. That's David, the king. David, the giant slayer. David, the big shot. What about C.U.C.? David was a hero when he was a boy. David was a hero when he was a young man. We'll come next week. He had some stumblings as a more mature man. You ever seen, you ever seen a mature Christian stumble? We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> David was a man after God's own heart in his whole age. CUC is a group of people that I don't know anywhere of, anywhere in my personal knowledge that are, is, is a better group of people who are doing the things that ought to be called things after God's own heart. Y'all with me? If we could say, what would it mean to be a person after God's own heart? Part of the answer would be to do the things that this class does. We just heard the man say, didn't we? What would it take for you to see yourself as a person after God's own heart? What would you have to say about you? Why shouldn't we say that about every Christian? Should we not? Actually, giving y'all a little chance. <laughs> Actually, every Christian, every human being, is a person whose God's heart is. Is that right? My goodness, what God has done in creating us. And the scripture says, we're going to create man in our own image. He made us so much like him. Uh, certainly, a, no, 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 nothing. We, we, we know it better than to be talking but he made us so much like God that we're, we're capable. He calls us his children. He doesn't call us his pets, right? We're not his deer. We're not his dog. We're not his cat. We're his children. So if we're God's children and he's our father, then he is after our hearts because the heart of God is with human beings, right? But I think what God means. Oh, I'm, I, got, I, I got hooked on just the words. David, a man, God's heart. What would a man like God's own heart look like? What would I look like? Could I ever talk to myself like that? I remember when 
when uh, I found the Lord when I was 11, my wife warned me not to get, get all caught up in that. <laughs> the Lord came, the Lord came bursting into my life. I was not, not seeking Him. He found me bursting into my life. And I had the problem of a teen, being a teenager who called himself Christian, who was a Christian. And I didn't hardly know what to do with it. I didn't know how to be a Christian. Y'all understand that? Those of you who found God early in your life, it was a struggle to be a Christian when I was a teenage boy. And it got better. It got better after I got about 21. I settled down a lot of my doubt. But the problem in being a teenage Christian is how in the world can I be the way I am and still be a Christian? The mind of a teenage boy is, is, is full of lots of things that we don't want to talk about. <laughs> I was raised up in a, in a little group that had a, yes. You said that, I was saying that when we were teenagers, most of us were Christians on Sunday. <laughs> and teenagers the rest of the week. Okay. But I'm going to say that I was, I was sincerely a Christian. And as much as I knew in those days, y'all put up with a minute. I was after what God wanted. I wanted to be God's person. I was raised in a little group of people who were proclaiming that that's who they were. Listen, we are a group of people after God's business. And at the same time in post-World War II, they were busy out there working hard, making money, and they weren't doing very much of God's work that I could see. Y'all, y'all understand that? Talking about it, and you don't see much going on. Does that make sense? Church talk, not a lot of stuff. And it bothered me because I think, maybe the other reason I'm talking about this, I think the question, what would it take for Paul Beecham to be a man? What's that that struggle like? Because it is a struggle. We all agree with that. And I had the struggle coming along as a young businessman and doing well. And there was no doubt about it that the winter... Then I was 24 before I turned 25, married and two small children. The Lord called me, no doubt about it, called me to get out of business. Clear as the day. I'm not going to go there. Stand. And my wife and I took our two children. My wife was ready to go. She, she was with it. And we went back to school for 10 years. And so then I had to try to figure out what it meant to be a man after God's own heart. What is that? What's God want out of me? What would it take to please God? At first, when he first, when, the, when the, I first understood the call, a very simplistic thing. If you're called out of business, you're supposed to be a preacher. So we went to Asbury College, and I read six or eight to ten books, qualified for a license to preach, and student pastor of the Country Methodist Church for two years. Mm-hmm. I got tired of listening to Paul Beecham's preaching, and so did they. <laughs> but we were at a wonderful Christian school, and next, how to be a man after God's own heart. There's a lot of missionary work going on there. Maybe I ought to be a missionary. So I took a summer and went to, to Ecuador. Is that, is, that, is that what God wants out of me? A man that will do what God wants him to do. And it went from um, missionary, this is trying to understand the call of God, to medical missionary. Now that clicked, medical missionary. And then that went further to medical school to the point where when I started hearing the chief prop in psychiatry <laughs> giving his his lessons to us, uh, that clicked. And then that went to private practice. And now I'm a, I'm a missionary in the prison system. Actually, I'm not in the prison system anymore. I'm at home talking to him on Skype. Okay. That's an example of 
what does it, what, you know, you know the story of your life. Where does the story of your life go in the sense of Roger Davis, a man after God's own heart? What, um, what would that look like? This is not just calling David out so he can go kill the giant. It's the calling, David is our hero. Aren't you glad that the scriptures in putting forth heroes in front of us as spiritual persons to follow, that it, the, the Bible does not doctor the story, but it leaves them right out there in the raw. There is, I don't think there is a character in the Bible who gets talked about more personally than David. When Saul, who was the first king, screwed it up, took it upon himself, did not have respect for the priesthood, did not have a respect for doing only what God wanted. Saul was a big guy. Saul is a big, super-duper, good-looking athlete kind of guy and hard-hitting, doing his own thing. And God sends the word to him, I have rejected you. I will take the kingdom away from you and I will give it to a man after my own heart who will do what I want him to do. Oh, we, wait, wait. What, what was the nail in the coffin there? I'm sorry? What was the nail in the coffin there? Uh, well, he, two he things. He went, he went into the temple, right. uh, he, or he, he didn't wait on the priest to come, and he took the priest's place and made some sacrifices. And then later on, God was using the, cho- the, the children of Israel in establishing them as a nation to uh, counter the terrible, uh, awful, uh, paganistic practices of the Canaanite people. And God sent him over to a guy named Abimelech. And he said, wipe them all out. Everybody, wipe them all out. Every dog, every ox, every every goat, every person. And Saul decided, well, this person, uh, I think I'll take this king captive. Bring him over. Why? So Saul can look good in what he does with him, whatever. Some of the oxen look really good. We'll bring them home and we can do, give a sacrifice. Samuel's words to him, obedience is better than sacrifice. Do what God said, not what I claim to do for God, because my idea is better than God's idea. So when God is choosing David, you remember, uh, he sends Samuel down to Bethlehem, uh, the city of David, to, to anoint the new king, and he brings out his father Jesse, and he, and he runs out six or seven sons, starting with the oldest, because in those days, Who's going to be the leader? Son number one, right? Samuel said, nope, that's not the boy. And they prayed every other son that Jesse had brought out. And Samuel says, is that all you got? And Jesse said, well, you know, well, we do have the youngest son, but he is out tending the sheep. When David came over to the battle with Goliath, his oldest brother, and David starts asking some question about what's going on. His older brother said, who do you think you are? You're there with your few little sheep. You know, David was no big shot at all. They didn't have much respect. David is a kid out there learning to be a warrior, actually. He was good with a sling. When we went to Israel, our guide showed us how with a handkerchief how you could make a sling. And so the idea is that a guy like David, had learned to use a sling to throw a rock and hit hit the hit the book hit it right on the nail head. Okay, David's out in the countryside living in the raw. When Saul comes after David, what does he do? He goes out in the countryside and hides in the woods with four or five hundred guys who were debtors and people that were on the down and out. 
and runs from Saul for several years. David is out there in the desert learning how to be the man who can do what God wants done. And so when David comes into the camp, his father sends him over there. You see, the, the Philistines and the Israelites, when you say you're having a war against the Philistines, it's about like saying there is a state of war between Rosal and Alpharetta. It's like a, a 10 or 12 miles from where they were over, over to the other place. No, no more than the next county. You know, at the worst, Rosal to Meredith. And David is there bringing some supplies to his brother, still a nobody. It's interesting, though, when Samuel, uh, when, when he's describing David, he is handsome, ruddy, no uppity, humble, bright, genuinely all-American kid. You would love to have him as your grandson. Humble, God-fearing. And David is over there bringing supplies to his brother. Out comes this giant. And he's over there cursing the people and carrying on like that. And David is, is a young man and a, and, and a Christian, God-fearing. He's, he's God's man. And he hears the words of this. And David goes, what? Oh, no. We can't let this guy stand here and talk about us and talk about our God like that and curse us by his paganistic gods. This is, this is not right. This can't be done. Why aren't y'all doing something about it? And you could write David off pretty quick as a uh, redneck, you know, smart mouth, in prison smart mouth white boy. Uh, you could uh, write him off in, uh, as, a, um, as, a, as a bright kid who thinks he knows something, but you don't know anything. I don't think that's where David's coming from. David's been out there living in the tough, worshiping God. He said when a lion or a bear or a wolf came and got one of his sheep, he followed after, rescued the sheep, and if the lion or the bear turned on him, the scripture says he grabbed him by his whiskers and, and popped him in the head with his club and killed him. Now we're talking about a lion and bear fighter. And if you are genuinely a lion and a bear fighter, David is not being an impudent, smart kid to say, we can't let this go on. Well, why aren't y'all, you know, why aren't y'all doing something about it? I think he's as sincere as all get out. He's, he's not looking to become a hero. He's looking to stomp out this foolishness of this giant. Uh, it seems right to him to do. And so when, once it's noised about that David's going to do it, and his brothers have already put him out, who do you think you are coming up here? You don't know nothing. All you're a shepherd. You know, yeah, you're, you're nobody. Saul brings him in, wants to put some armor on him. It is nothing to say that David is little. But he's smaller than Saul because Saul's bigger than everybody. David says, I'm, I'm not comfortable. What does David want? He wants some rocks in a sling. Y'all tell me when we run out of time. We got a little more time on. Want rocks in a sling. I've got a bag of rocks at my house buried in some closet somewhere. I forgot them. I would love to have brought them that I picked up out of the dry brook where David got his rocks. I'll never forget Brother Dave Gardner. David got his smooth, slick river rocks. <laughs> and he slung a rock and it hit the giant. And the giant said, ooh. It hurt him, dear hearts. Uh, knocks the giant out. Uh, the giant is no more to David. Actually, the giant's a lot slower than a bear or a lion or a wolf, right? I mean, he's not intimidated by the giant. This ought not be happening in David's sense of being a man after God's own. We can't put up with this. And he's pretty good with the sling. 
And as the giant's still some distance, he's not going up there and getting a wrestling match with the giant. He runs toward the giant, slings the sling, whop, right there. The giant's on the ground, uh, not maybe not dead yet, but clearly unconscious with a rock in his head, sunk in. And he's broken right through all the cribborn stuff up here. And it's a very short distance to, through to the brain. Pulls the giant's. Did y'all know that the children of Israel had no iron in those days? They had to go over to the Philistines, their enemies and friends and trading partners, and have them sharpen their plowshares. David has no, I guess they had some spears, I don't know where they got them, but they were not in the iron. Pulls the giant's sword out, cuts his head off. Man, there's panic in the, in the Philistine camp. They're running all the Israelites are together, and they pursue them the next 10 or 12 miles and kill them off like all get out. And in the earlier days of Saul, the Lord, uh, they're, they're still in the process of consolidating themselves as a nation. Nation's not a really good word for it. It'd be like uh, they're trying to make themselves North Georgia. You know, they're trying to at least be an entity. And God has Saul to fight. He fought all of his years as king. He fought with the Philistines. Philistines or whatever you want to call them. And this is some more of that same kind of battle. A people that they war with and, and then they settle it. Lots of skirmishes. Lots of little arguments and fights back and forth. David in his period of time of running from Saul when Saul wants to kill him lived among the Philistines 16 months. David and his men. I need a place to be. Can I be here with you? Okay, and he helps them out. Um, So David then becomes instant hero. But he is no Johnny Manziel. A&M. Y'all see that? He's a smart-mouthed white boy. He can't turn around and walk away from anything. He's got to have the last word. We don't see that. The humility. David is genuinely a follower of God. but And Saul recognizes him immediately. And they do some more fighting. And as they're coming back from the fighting, the young ladies are standing on by the side of the road with tambourines and singing. And what are they singing? Saul has killed his thousands, and David is ten thousand. David is ten thousand. Woo! Saul is mad. He is envious. Saul is a a man who is not after God's own heart. Saul is a man who's turned his back on God. He is still God's anointed in the sense that he's still the king, and David respects him. There's another thing you know that David's a man of God. David respects a leader that he knows is not right with God. He is not going to take him out. He's not going to let any of his people take him out. He ran from him for years, for years, hiding in in the forest, in caves, and other things. He had several occasions when he could have killed him. He's God's anointed. It's, it's, it's up to me to be respectful to him. Uh, David is brought by Saul into his own uh, into the palace because after this time of Saul using himself, Saul immediately enlists him in his army and has him really as a leader. Later demotes him a little bit, hoping he'll get killed. Saul throws a spear at David three times in the inner chamber where David is playing music to soothe Saul 
Because the Bible says the Lord sent a troubling spirit to Saul, and David is there, and initially Saul loves him, then he turns envious of him and actually tries to kill him. David is not vengeful. He is he he could have taken Saul out. He didn't do it. Uh, he is willing to wait. He's God's anointed. Uh, do I need some more patience, Sarah Jane? Wait, willing to wait. David is willing for God's time to be God's time, not David's time. There's a there's a little funny story in here. So y'all can see there is no lesson plan. There is a funny little story in here. When David is hanging around the the uh, the king's palace, the king's got a beautiful young daughter named Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L. She has fallen in love with David, and David was her. David said, uh, what would be to Saul, what would be the price of the bride? Now, I don't like this, but I'll tell it to you anyway. He says, the foreskins of a hundred Philistines. You're going to kill them. You're going to bring me the proof they're dead, right? So David and his men go out and kill 200. These are enemies, okay? God's against these people. And David has has a wife. Later, when she helps David escape, her father is very angry at her for doing that and actually gives her to another man to become his wife. Years later, when David is king, and they are anointing him, and he's joining the southern kingdom, Judah, with the northern kingdom, where there had been another descendant of Saul. <clears throat> David said, bring me my wife, Michael, back. I paid, I paid the bride price for her. Bring her back. She is the same wife, though, who ridiculed David because David wearing little or not much, not much clothing, um, not kingly clothing, Something very simple, probably, you know, not much more than a pair of running shorts, or maybe less, I don't know. Uh, and David is dancing as they are bringing the Ark of the Covenant back home. Uh, she sees him down there, and all the girls are standing around, and she gets very, very jealous and, and criticizes her husband. And the scripture says, and she didn't have any children all, all the days of her life. She, she turned on David. Now, are you hearing out of David what I'm saying so far? Are there any characteristics of David that we we can model ourselves in? You know. Now we're going to know that, and we're not going to get there today. How much time we got? You about you about got about enough? Okay. David, as the story goes on, life becomes complicated, does it not? When you're young, even when you have young kids, life is still reasonably simple. You get older, you got your own children, you got grandchildren, you got an entourage, your life matures, the complications go up. It can be easy to get distracted. Y'all with me? I'm not the only one, right? Ever found anything that you're doing in your life as a distraction that can decrease your effectiveness, perhaps, as being the person that God best wants you to be. Y'all understand that? And that occurred in David's life. Okay, I'll, I'll quit with this. I've gotten through one page of ten pages. <laughs> um, God, when God chooses us, 
and loves us. We don't choose God. God chooses us. When he chooses us and makes us his own in that spiritual repair that comes by the blood of Christ, God gives us, counts to us, right, his righteousness. He makes us his. God never leaves us. Is that not good news? That's good news, my friends. David drifted. I, I'm not here to judge David, okay? I'm not here to, I'm not here to judge you. Or, or in, we're none of us here to judge anybody, right? But when David has a period of time when it would look to you and me like he is outside God's will, do you think that God ever backed off of David one inch. That, my friends, is the good news. God doesn't back off of Beth one inch. He doesn't back off of Paul or Tom not an inch. His callings are forever. The forgiveness of sins is a forgiveness of all the past, all the present, and whether you all believe this or not, I'm going to sound like a Presbyterian in a minute, and all the future. He forgives all our sins. God does not back away from us in from any when he calls us as his own. Paul says in another place, and he has given us the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our redemption. God stands by his guarantee. And although David goes through some difficulties, we'll talk about next week. In his middle age, in his old age, David proves to be the nation builder. When his son Solomon, as she was kid, a second kid, when his son Solomon is there and builds the temple, everything Solomon needed to build that temple had been gathered by David. He did what God wanted him to do. In spite of his shortcomings, he did what God wanted him to do. Now, it is no stretch then that you and I, as members of this class and as Christians per se, ought to be our daily prayer, is it not? What does God want of me? What does God need of me? Who am I in what God's doing? What's God's plan? What are, what are God's wishes? What's God's best will for me? I don't think we ought to be worrying over that. And I don't think we ought to stumble over it. No, we ought not get all caught up in some kind of a obsessive self-examination. But it ought to be the desire of every Christian's heart. And it ought to be our best will today. Lord, what do you want or need from me today? Who do you want me to be? How can I be the person that you want to be? Maybe not as dramatically as David running up there and killing that darn giant. Uh, that don't make any difference, does it? It's, it's who we are, and it's what God wants or expects from you and me. In that sense, every one of us, as, follow, as children of David, now, the number one guy who's called son of David, y'all know who that is. Jesus Christ himself is called the son of David. Is that not amazing? And followers of Christ, sons of David, because David ought to be a guy who we can follow. I will quit. Let's pray. Our Father, we do praise you for the goodness that we find in Scripture, that your word is, is so edifying. It is so helpful to us that you have shown us who you are and who we are in your word. 
Will you continue to bless us as we try to study and learn who you want us to be? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul. We look forward to next week again. <clears throat> in closing, for I have a thought for the day, and I'm, <clears throat> I know a couple of weeks ago, Bob gave you all a lesson out of a book that my small group is studying, which is a challenging book, but I hope you all enjoyed it. I know Bob, I, I was able to listen on the website, and he did a great job. But this is a quote from Dietrich Bonham, both Bonham, Hopper, <clears throat> in ordinary life, we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give. And that is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. So that's, that's our thought for the day. Happy Labor Day to everybody. Thank you.